I felt like I was coming home today. As Pastor Peter mentioned, I was here about three years ago in a um, really hard, painful time in my life. And it was in this place that I really learned the gospel. Um, I had been a Christian for over 20 years. But it was here in this place that I really understood that I was more sinful and wicked than I dared admit, but I was more loved and accepted than I knew. Can anybody say amen to that this morning? And when I sat there for over a year and the staff, Pastor Michael and Angela and Carlton and others came around me, it was a very, very healing time for me. Um, and so this place is very special. And is this okay? Okay. Um, and I felt like my last Sunday here, like two years ago, I didn't want to leave because I didn't know what was coming. It seemed like it was going to be good, but I wasn't quite sure. And so I want to encourage you here at New Community, the way I would describe it is that this is a safe place for a very dangerous message. And that's how I felt and what I experienced when I was here. And so it is a privilege to be back with all of you again this morning. So thank you. So yeah, we're going to talk about a crazy subject this morning, that big E word. So I want to ask you, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word evangelist? Think about that for a minute. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear that? How about this? Maybe some angry people holding a placard? Repent or perish. Some people would say that uh, Christians are people who love people, but they're really angry. Or the, the image of the old preacher with the pointing of the finger, right? Maybe that conjures up some images of evangelism for you. Or maybe this. Leap of faith. Real miracles sensibly priced. Right? Some like cheesy, like slick presentation that has watered down the gospel in some manipulative way. Now what I want you to think about Think about those people in your life that told you about Jesus. Think about those people on your journey when you were far away from God, when you wanted nothing to do with God, when you were anxious and you feared and you doubted. Who were the people in your life? What were they like? I bet any money they weren't like that. Were they? They probably weren't pushy, they weren't angry, they weren't manipulative, they weren't slick, they weren't cheesy, but they actually loved us, cared about us in really deep ways and met us right where we were. So evangelism isn't this big scary word. It's us being who God's called us to be in other people's lives. It's that easy. But the problem is, 
is that we have these myths that are perpetuated about what evangelism is. And here are some of the myths. Evangelism is only for those that have the spiritual gift of evangelism. Have you heard that before? Oh, I don't have that spiritual gift, Pastor, so I can't do that. That's a myth. Evangelism also requires some um, good, deep communication skills. And that if you can't communicate clearly and articulately, well, you can't really open your mouth then, can you? That's a myth. Or that you, evangelism requires some deep biblical theological knowledge. We don't have all the answers. And that's okay. That's okay. But what are the facts? The facts are, is that evangelism... Sharing the gospel with people that the Lord puts in our path is really the work and the initiative of God. God is the evangelist. There should be a big amen on that this morning. Because it frees us from guilt, from pressure. You know all those things that we feel sometimes and that have been put on us? This is God's work in people's lives. And I always say that no matter how wonderful you think your personality is and how amazing you think that you attract people, you don't. <laughs> it is God who draws people to himself. John 4:44. it is God who draws people to himself, not us. That should be encouraging this morning. This is the work of God. And then in that, we get the privilege to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and his work in the world. We just get to sort of look around and figure out where God's at work. And we get to join him in that work. And so it's not all up to us. It's not all up to us. Another fact is that God is always at work in the world. Always. It's not like we show up and all of a sudden God is there. Right? And, and that's the other pressure that we put on ourselves. Oh, you know, this is the moment. And I better say it the right way. And oh my goodness, what if they get off the bus? What's going to happen? I hear some laughing. Have you ever felt that way? God is always at work in the world. And we just get to join him. It's that simple. And in that, we get to be a faithful witness to the gospel. A faithful witness to the gospel. That's it. A witness. Now, I want you to see clearly in Acts 1.8... When Jesus is giving the commission to his disciples, he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my what? My witnesses. You will be my witnesses. Jesus doesn't say you will be my evangelists. He doesn't say you'll be my pastors. He doesn't say that you'll be seminary students. Thank you, Jesus. He says you will be my witnesses when the power of the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, here's the great thing about that. 
Because Jesus says we'll be his witnesses, there is none of us getting out of it. So when Pastor Peter's in this series about all in, the you's there, and I know you've heard this in this church before, it's plural. It's y'all. So none of us are getting out of it. You will be my witnesses. That's a beautiful thing, that we don't have to be specially trained. We don't have to have some special knowledge or special gifting. But that we have what God has done in our lives. And we get to share that with other people. And we get to cooperate with what God is already doing in the world. And just taking that one step, that one conversation to lead people to Jesus. Amen? Now we would say too that biblically the gospel is about proclamation and demonstration. That we are proclaiming and we are demonstrating the gospel in the world. Amen? My contention though in the last I would say 10 years in particular, 10 to 15 years, we've gotten really good at the demonstration part. We've gotten really good at that part. But the proclamation, not so much. And I've wondered why that is. Lon Allison, who was the director of the Billy Graham Center for over 15 years and is now at Wheaton Bible Church, he's helped me think through this a little bit. And I'm hoping this will help you this morning. It's an apologetic, if you will, a defense for why words matter. Why words matter. The first thing he would say is this, that words matter because some convictions require language. Some convictions require language. For example, my husband, he loves to clean bathrooms. Bless him. Bless him. He loves to clean the bathrooms. And he knows that one of my languages of love is acts of service. And oh, do I feel loved when the bathrooms are clean. But if my husband only cleaned the toilets and never told me he loved me, how would I know? How would I know? And so church, this morning, I want to make an argument that words matter because convictions require language. The things about life and eternity and grace and mercy and forgiveness, those things require language so that we can lead people to Jesus. Secondly, words matter because our good works tend to focus on us. Our good works tend to focus on us. And what plays into this here is that the reason why the good works focus on us is because it's that innate thing to want to be liked, to want to be approved of, to perform, right? And so when you see someone doing a lot of good works, the good works focus on that person rather than on Christ. This is why words matter. So that when we are living out the gospel by demonstrating it, that we have words that accompany that. Make sense? As to the why we're doing it. 
This is what separates the church from being just another social service organization and being able to say the why so that it's not about us, but it's about Christ. Amen? And then finally, and this might hurt a little, our good works are really not that good. <laughs> our good works are really not that good. Because as we have this innate need to be approved of, to be liked, and people are watching us, and, and we say, well, you know, I'm just going to let my life speak for itself. I'm just going to let my life speak for itself. And I don't really need to say any words about Jesus or what he's done in my life or what he means to me. I'm just going to let my life speak. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. At some point, when someone's watching you, neighbor, coworker, at school, whatever it is, you're going to end up not being like Jesus. <laughs> we all do. And the neighbor is going to see Bill and I having an argument because we're Italian and we can go at it pretty well and still love each other at the end of the day. The good works, that only lasts for so long. That's why words matter when it comes to the proclamation of the gospel. Now, it mattered so much that the Apostle Paul, at the end of his letter to the Colossians, in Colossians chapter 4, 2 through 6, and that's going to be our text this morning. It mattered so much to the Apostle Paul that when he gets to the end of Colossians, these are his final instructions to the church. Isn't it interesting that sometimes the last things that we say are the most lasting? You know, the, you get the last word in. I'm kind of one of those people sometimes. I like to get the last word in. And this is what the Apostle Paul is doing. If you look in Colossians uh, previous to chapter 4 and chapter 3, he's laying out how to live because it's written to the Christians. How do you live? How do you live with one another? How do you live in a household? How do you live in work relationships? And then he gets to chapter 4, and now he's giving further instructions. And these instructions are guidelines for how to witness. It's very simple. But this is the last thing he wants to leave the church with. So it's simple, but it's important. So what does he say? The very first thing he says in verses 2 through 6 are this. Devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in change. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Interesting, the very first thing that Paul tells them to do is what? Pray. Not only pray, but to devote yourselves to prayer. That word there, devote, it means unrelenting. It means continually steadfast. It means a participation, a prayerful participation in the struggle for the gospel. That's the kind of prayer Paul's talking about. Now remember, when Paul's writing this, he's in prison. He's in prison. 
And he's not asking them, oh, pray for me so I can be released. Paul's chained up. This is the Apostle Paul, the most prolific writer in the New Testament. And he's saying, pray for me so that I can proclaim it. So I can speak the gospel clearly and that a door will be opened. Church, that's what we need to pray for. We need to pray for those people that God brings into our lives. We need to pray that when we open our mouths, that we have clarity. We need to pray for open doors. Now, I got to admit, this praying thing, this is probably the hardest thing to do because I love to talk. Right? And I see my neighbor, Oxy, across the street with three little boys. Man, we love those boys. We took them to see Frozen at Christmas time. It was so much fun. And I see her sitting out on the stoop sometimes in the front. And I know some stuff she's going through. I don't pray for her enough. I know I don't. And yet, this is the first thing the Apostle Paul tells them. Devote yourselves to prayer. Now, once in a while, I get it right. Once in a while. I'm part of um, the Chamber of Commerce in Crystal Lake, and that's been a very interesting experience, right? Because they're like all these business people, and I go to these things, and I say I'm a pastor, and right away they're like, oh, you know, talk about like putting someone off right away. Pastor Peter does that all the time, doesn't he? <laughs> Sorry. I can't help it. We're really good friends for a long, long time. I couldn't help it. His hair is different too. Wow. I haven't seen him in a while. (laughs) So I go to these events like at the chamber and it's all about, you know, networking and building relationships and, you know, being able to say what your company does in an elevator pitch in 30 seconds. I'm like, all right, woo, I better get on that, right? Like, What would I say in 30 seconds about what I do? Interesting. But this one woman, Annie, developed a relationship with her. And um, I want you to remember that when you're talking to people about Jesus or about spiritual things, try to get to where they're at. Try to get what's on their hearts. Listen well. She said to me, she said, yeah, she said, I've been in big fights with my brothers and sisters because we have to move my mom. My mom took a hard fall, and some of my brothers want to move her, and some don't. And you could just see the struggle in her spirit, right? And I just looked at her, and I said, Annie, I said, I know you're being a good daughter. And I know that you're doing the best that you know how for your mom. And she just kind of welled up with tears. And when I went back, I sent her a prayer card. So it's kind of a new thing we're doing, but it's pretty cool. Like after we pray for someone, we send them a card. And she got the card. And the next time she saw me, she said, that really meant a lot, that you prayed for me. And I thought, wow, like this isn't rocket science. (laughs) This isn't labor intensive. This isn't, this doesn't cost me very much to pray for people. But we get the, the privilege to be able to do that, right? 
looking at where God is at work in the world and where he's at work in people's lives, and we get to jump right in. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Amen? So be prayerful. Be prayerful. Next, Paul goes on to say, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Now, why would he say this? Why would he say be wise in the way that you act? He says be wise because the Christians in the first century are in a hostile environment. They are under Roman rule and oppression. They are marginalized people. Not only that, when they are confessing Jesus as Lord and Caesar is not, that can create a lot of chaos, a lot of problems. And so Paul is saying, be wise. Walk in wisdom. And do you know what? Sometimes in being wise is we just have to listen. Listen to know how to respond. Ask good questions. Figure out where people are in their lives. And respond in that way, in being wise. He goes on to say, make the most of every opportunity. That word there, make the most, do you know what that really means? It means buy up. It means buy up like a bargain shopper. A sense of of urgency, that at every opportunity, you make the most of it. Now, I got to admit, and I'm going to out myself right here, right now. Yes, I am one of those people after Christmas. I'm just saying, Bath and Body Works, now for you guys, they do sell male products there now. You might want to go check it out. Some nice lotions, shower gels that have the guy smell like woodsy. When you, have you ever been to those things, right? At Bath and Body, they have like the bins everywhere. And like the shower gels and the lotions are like $3. Sometimes like $1.50. It's like, whoa, like all my favorites. I just, buying up, right? That's the word here. That every opportunity is urgent. It's urgent. We've lost that sense of urgency. We've lost it. And we go about our lives and, and we think that, you know, it's never going to end. And there's no sense of urgency. That at this moment, I have a chance to see where God is at work and I get to jump in and be with this person where they're at on their journey. That's the urgency of what Paul is talking about. Paul does this so well in Acts 17 when he's in the city of Athens. And he's walking around Athens and he sees idols everywhere in the city. Everywhere. And he stands up. And instead of saying to the people in Athens, you idiots, what are you doing? There is one God to worship. And I'm going to tell you how to do that. That's not what Paul says. This is what Paul says. People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and observed your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, 
to an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. Now that is some wisdom. That is making most of the opportunity. Rather than judging the culture, rather than judging the people, rather than making assumptions about how they worship or what they worship, Paul takes it and he transforms it and he says, now I'm going to tell you about this unknown God that you don't know anything about. That's brilliant. That is brilliant witness in the midst of a culture that was completely unlike Paul's. Wisdom and making the most of every opportunity. And lastly, Paul goes on to say, not only be prayerful and be wise, but be ready. Be ready. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. This is a beautiful verse. Do you know why? Because when you have understood and received grace in your life, when you know you don't deserve it, you can't help but extend that to other people. You can't help but give people the benefit of the doubt. You can't help not signing negative motives to what they're doing. But to say, I once was lost too. And I once screwed up really, really bad. And I don't deserve the life I'm living at all. And so Paul is very careful when he says, let your conversation be full of grace. Full of grace. And he says, seasoned with salt. Now the Greeks, back in the first century, the reason why Paul says this is because it was sort of a metaphor that if you were a speaker or a debater and you were seasoned with salt, that meant you were really clever and witty and humorous. How many of you like salt? Uh-huh. Yeah, I live with somebody that um, he doesn't even taste it first, and he's already unscrewing the top of the salt shaker. Uh-huh. Yeah, he just got blood work done, but he's still doing okay. But salt is that seasoning. And when we're going to open our mouths and talk about Jesus and the gospel and what he's done for us and how he's changed our lives, we don't want to be irrelevant and boring. Do we? We want to be seasoned with salt. We want to have that, that emotion that says something's different in my life. I've been changed. I was going one way and now I'm going this way. Only because of what Jesus has done for me. That's what it means to be seasoned with salt. Becky Pippert, she wrote the book in the 1980s called Out of the Salt Shaker into the World. I don't think she's written another book since then. But it was one of her most famous books. And this is what she said. Our conversion experience may illustrate the power of the gospel, but it doesn't explain it. 
It doesn't explain it. This is why words matter. This is why Paul, when he continued in Acts 17, and when he stood up to proclaim the unknown God, for the rest of the chapter in Acts 17, go home and read it today. Paul didn't stand up in the middle of people and go, I don't know, like, it just felt really good. Like, yeah, like, I, it's really cool to live my life like this. No, that's not what he did. He stood up and he proclaimed God in the world. He proclaimed Jesus Christ. He was ready. He was ready to give an answer in the midst of a culture that may or may not have received him. And so I say to you, new community this morning, I wonder if there are some here today who've had some really bad experiences. Like those beginning pictures. And it has made you not want to have anything to do with Jesus. If that's you this morning, I want to say to you, we're sorry. As a church, we're sorry. But what I want to say to you is don't let that keep you away from that sense of what God might be doing in your life. And for those of you that are here today and say that you're followers of Jesus, I wonder, when we talk about everyone a witness, I wonder what is the one thing you can do? Be more prayerful? Perhaps be more wise? Or more ready? Perhaps your commitment this year is that you're going to be deeper in the word. Not that you'll have all the answers to life. People will say that to me all the time. Lisa, what about all the suffering? What about the evil? What about all the shootings? I don't have all the answers for that. And that's okay. But there are things that we do know about who God is and what Jesus has done for us. Amen? And those are the things that we can be ready to speak into people's lives. And so wherever you are today, new community, in your walk, I wonder if you can make a commitment for 2014, whether it's praying for people, being more wise, being more full of grace and being salty. If you just say today, Lord, I want to be ready. I want to be ready. I want to look out and I want to see the work that you're doing in the world. Show me. Show me the open door and give me clarity to tell my story and how you've changed my life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Church, the people of God, go out this week. Tell people about Jesus. Tell people about what
what he's done in your life and how he saved you when you were lost and far away from him. Go and tell people and don't be afraid. Don't be afraid that you're not going to get it all right or that you're going to stumble around. Don't be afraid because God goes with you, before you, he's over you, he's under you, and be blessed.